Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. February 2021, and this is Spin the Rally Pod. I'm rally fan Lisa Rose Sullivan, and we have the experts on hand as ever. Dirtfish senior staff writer David Evans, voice of rally Colin Clark, and former team boss George Donaldson. So, boys, we have one event under our belts. The Monte Carlo Rally has been completed. A record-breaking victory for Sebastian Ogier. An interesting one-event ban suspended for Oit Tanak. But the question that some people have been asking, which we're going to come to at length, should the Monte Carlo rally have taken place at all? There's been so much negativity in some of the media I've been reading about the fact that the event's taken place at all. Who wants to start? Mm. Yeah, I I found it a little odd, I'd have to say. Um, You're certainly, during the weekend, for me it was a Monte Carlo rally. It had all the ingredients of a Monte Carlo rally. I didn't see anything to complain about, if I'm being absolutely honest. Um, You know, the organisers did an incredible job. All the teams did well to get their personnel there. And they put on a great show, and that's what it was. And, you know, in these difficult times, any kind of show is a show that we're all going to enjoy and appreciate. Uh, And I, you know, I, I read that criticism from certain aspects of the media, and I scratched my head, and I went, you know, what's it all about? And I, I, you know, to be totally honest with you, I couldn't get to the bottom of it. I really couldn't fathom it. I didn't buy any of the arguments uh, in the, the, the negative articles that I read because for me, it was just really positive all the way through for the Monte Carlo rally. I don't know about you, David. It, you, you and I didn't First of all, go Cole, this time. Should we, should we list what some of those criticisms were? Wow. One, that it wasn't long enough. There weren't enough kilometres or weren't enough stages. Um one that seems a little silly. There weren't enough fans. There weren't any fans on the stages. And uh, there was co- sort of complaints about the fact that the curfew was in place in France. Yeah. All stuff that was a little unavoidable. Yeah, totally. Totally unavoidable. Um, you know, we'd all have liked to have gone to, a, if you like, a traditional Monte Carlo rally. But, you know, the fact there was a rally uh, in you know, under these circumstances, for, to me, it should have been, you know, it was, an, it was an occasion to say, yeah, job done and job very well done to the organisers, to the FIA, to the promoter, to the teams, to all the participants. And it left a wee bit of a sour taste to me, certainly, David. I don't know about you. I can totally see that perspective, Cole. Uh, And I agree uh, wholeheartedly with what you've said there. I think the one thing that uh, one of the issues was the curfew. Uh, And and if there was an aspect, apart from the fact that we were recording our stuff in Brackley, which didn't definitely didn't feel like a Monte Carlo the one aspect was the afternoon wasn't it that you know we were finished by sort of one we had an hour's difference obviously we were an hour earlier in the UK but we were finished by one or two o'clock in the afternoon mm. that was odd um, and I can see that's it, it it is quite a strange one but 
it was that curfew that essentially allowed us to have a Monte Carlo rally. So, yeah. you know, we, I, I can, I've read exactly the same pieces as you, and and I've got to be honest, my my feeling is the same. I think it it was. It, you can't say it was groundless because it had grounds, you know, in the curfew and 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 the lack of fans and all of that. But this is the modern world right now. This is the world we're yeah. living in. So I don't, you know, you've got to deal with not, it, or you know, not groundless, but but it, it seemed a long way away from reality to me. You know, and it seemed a long way from you know understanding and appreciating the circumstances that we're all having to endure just now. So yeah, you're right, not groundless, but but but. A lack of understanding, or a lack of appreciation, or a lack of. <laughs> I, I know, would agree with that. You reality. Know, I, I, would, I would agree with that, and 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 you know the, the discussion about you know two hundred and fifty odd kilometres or whatever. Oh. That's the way that some of these events are running now. We're see, seeing these shorter form events. You know, look, we're looking towards the Arctic Rally, uh, and that's you know what is it around two sixty or something kilometres? I can't remember exactly. Even um, something like Sardinia. You know, which is running to a full route. We've seen the route for that coming out this week. It's three hundred and five kilometers. You know, it's all very well for people to bang on about ninth, the mid eighties when we had sixty-two thousand kilometers of stages. And I'm as bad as anybody for doing that. But you know, this is the way that we are right now. We cannot keep continue to kind of. It's not really fair to compare even though I compare all the time. <laughs> I'm a little bit talking myself into a hole here, Lisa. This would be okay, a good no, time. I can get you out, David. Uh, Thanks, It's my, my turn. It's Somebody my turn. take the right. shovel and okay. stop me from digging. Well, stop, stop you. Stop me digging. So I'll, I'll, I'll dig instead of David. So, uh, yeah, look, it was a short rally. Um, I didn't notice it. I was spectating via via the app, you know, via I'm, I'm, a, I'm registered on WRC.com. I'm, look, out of us all here, I'm as big a traditionalist as any of us. And I love the old big rallies that drove all the way around France, the Ardèche into the high Alps, down into the mid Alps, and then the, then down to the coastal, you know, the, the Alp Maritime. I loved it. And it was an amazing adventure. It's gone. It's history um, at the moment. Whether it ever comes back, I have no idea. Probably not. But, you know, rallying moves with the times and it changes and it survives in the environment that exists. And that's very much the case this year with COVID. And just, you know, 100 and... 10% applause to the organizers and I'm, yeah. uh, and, and and I think the promoter I'm, I'm I'm reluctant to give the promoter too much credit ever uh, because they're not necessarily in it for the same motivation that I follow rallying but I respect it 100% I love the product they're giving me so I really can't complain but 100% to 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 them all for getting it together and getting us an event out there. It kept me in the house over the weekend. So job achieved for the, and you know, all those multitude of, of Italian and French and German, Polish, Czech fans that visit Monte Carlo every year in their tens of thousands, even still, still one of the most popular events in the calendar, spectator wise. They were all at home watching their TVs, following on their app, all staying inside and self-isolating. So, from the point of view of sending a couple of hundred people down to into Monte Carlo and what we could see visually looked like a very well quarantined event. Nobody around. Uh, all, I'm sure, strictly controlled with COVID tests and, and bubbles being maintained. Uh, everything I saw looked really disciplined and responsible. I did question it beforehand, thinking that this can't be a good idea. You know, we'll get a caning from uh, from the public. You know, people are going to complain. We didn't seem to get a caning from the public. We got a caning from traditionalists about <laughs> traditionalist issues. Nothing to do with COVID or the reality of a shorter event. 
hey, and I understand that. I mean, I, I know I can sympathise with a lot of the people that I read uh, complaining about the event that it's lost some of its social niceties and and you know the, I mean I loved going up into the Ardesh. Colin, you and I, we oh, are we are Cafe you. Central, finding the interesting places. We loved it, yeah. and yes, we bemoan it's going, but we don't. We're not melancholy but, about it. We get on and enjoy the currency of rallying and the the fantastic competitions. These drivers, they're driving on the absolute. Yeah dogged edge it's fabulous to watch and look we've got our own uh, young uh, uh, Elfin Evans who you know I mean I remember you and I being asked along quite early in his career to, to help him you know be more relaxed with journalists I was pretending mm. to be a journalist at the moment at that time so were you yeah, I'm, I'm not pretending to be a journalist anymore but anyway <laughs> but you know what I mean you know it's so nice so nice to see that and then you know Seb Ogier you know he quite often says slightly outrageous and very strong comments, you know. But he is rallying's biggest fan. He's a, you know, he's a big fanboy, he loves his sport, he's so passionate about it. But what an incredible, mature performance. And I love the fact that, he, you know, he dominated it in the way he did performance-wise. He could pull out that extra because he's got the experience and he still has the focus mm. and the determination. But isn't it great to see some of the younger drivers but, coming through as well? But- but just, you know, one, one of the points to pick up on there, you know, it, undoubtedly it was a shorter event. It didn't have as many stages. You know, Saturday was, was Still three fabulous. stages. It didn't, it, for me, it didn't matter once those stages were up and running. You know, the second stage on Friday when those conditions were evolving and, and oh. Neville was like 12 seconds quicker than Pierre-Louis mm. Lube. You know, what was going on? It was a proper Monte Carlo. Yeah, you know, it was great. And, and a combination of tyre choices, trying to second guess them. What was Hyundai? thinking of taking uh you know a, a part worn tire it was it, it had everything okay. had everything it was yeah. in, a, in a more compact form but for goodness sake you know i would far far rather have spent my weekend uh at bgm sport with colin uh than yeah. uh, than doing anything but else it was can super I, and can I bring in about tires while, while you're just there can we just talk about tires because of course big problems for Oit Tanak and he's picked up this what he thinks is t- he's told Dirtfish was oh. he talking to you David or Colin who did he who did he give no, the comments yeah, to, to? Me. yeah it was, it was yeah. to me I it, spoke to him last week yeah so he, he's yeah. picked up this one event ban suspended for you know hobbling in on three wheels which obviously is against the the rules and regulations but I feel it's kind of harsh am I am I wrong for thinking that no it's not it's not you you, you, you are wrong it isn't harsh um you know, everyone knows what the rule is. Everyone mm. knows what the consequences are. I remember, goodness me, in Germany, five or six years ago, m- maybe more than that, a young, he was actually, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was a young uh, Spanish driver, came into the stage end, two punctures, one spare tyre, rubber completely off, um, and he's at the end of the stage. We, we'd come out of the stage, he was, I think he was in the juniors at the time, and he's debating what to do. And I was with Julian Porter at the time, and we both looked at each other and looked at him and said, well, you've got no choice. You know, you have to park up, super rally, come back tomorrow. And he's going, no, no, but I can get back to service. I was like, you go back to service, and you will be excluded. You will be excluded, and you won't get back for super rally. That's great, Carl. Actually, you've taken a legal and perhaps a moral high ground there. But you tell me, get to the end of the stage, and you stand in front of Oit Tanak's car and say, you're not moving. Because, you know, it harks is, is immediately back to that conversation, which happened before but, the rule change uh, for, for coming in with, with rubber on the wheels, to Marcus Gronholm. The policeman pulled him over in Wales and said, you can't go. And Gronholm said, I can drive. And he said, no, no you can't. David, David, no, no, David, no, no, David. No, 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 I'm this sorry, one, Carl. This, this is the point one, this, here. You will not no. ever stop a driver giving it a go. 
Ever. Yes, you will, because anyway. I've seen it. I've seen it many, no, many will. times. You will now, because no, there's a precedent. Right, but but that, that is such a black and white rule, David. It Where is. was Oit Tanak? <laughs> Where was Oit Tanak when his team needed him in the power stage? No, Where was he? Well, he, he retired. Of course he had. Right. But he, no, no, no. Not of course he had. He didn't need to retire. He could have been there. Oh, I know it was Saturday, wasn't no, it? No, he couldn't. He had, on Saturday. <laughs> he had to retire. He had to retire. He had to retire. Ordinarily, you're quite right. You're quite right. But equally, yeah. you know, I, I've spoken to a, a lot of people about this, uh, and the feeling is, you know, it, the the wording of the of the stewards' decision was quite precise in that, you know, it's not to set a precedent. But that's essentially that's not to set a precedent for stewards on other events you know they don't need to feel duty bound to follow that 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 ruling but for me you're dead right Colt. it is black and white you know you cannot drive without uh freely rotating fully inflated rubber on the four corners of the car you can't and to no. me to me there's an mm. element that the onus has to it has to be on the driver you know, but, you know, talking to drivers about this, I've put to them, you know, what happens in the worst case scenario if a dog runs out, you swerve, you lose control of the car, you go up the pavement, you kill two people walking along the pavement. And the feeling is that they're not they're not driving in a dangerous manner. They're driving within the control of the car. And that's the trouble, isn't it? You know, drivers always at this point sort of super professional level they feel that they are in control of absolutely everything uh and you know i would say 99.9 percent if that scenario played out oit tanik would have controlled the car and brought it to a standstill without yeah but that's issue. not that's that's, but that's you not can't, the point. no that, it's that, not that. but that's the driver's mindset Cole. that's where no they it's are. not all it's not every driver's mindset David. so I, tell I, me which I, I driver would have, seen... would have come out of there and just parked up of the current manufacturer drivers who would have just not thought i'll oh, give it a crack well, no, but I agree with you. I agree. Now, now that you've reminded me that it was the Saturday and there's no super rally on the Saturday, there was no point in him parking up and no, staying no, no. at the he end of the stage. He had to give it a go. He, he had to give it a go. But, yeah. you know, under normal circumstances, had there been a super rally option, he would have been, been excluded. Tre- he tremendously excluded. foolish thing to have done. Tremendously yeah. foolish. Um, so, but, you know, he took a chance. He thought, well, I'll take my chance with the stewards. I'll take my chance. Maybe I'll manage to sneak in. Maybe, you know, the millions of people that have been watching me on telly, maybe they didn't really notice that I'd actually had two punctures. So he, he took a chance and fair. he had nothing to lose. Exactly. He had nothing to lose. And when you have nothing to lose, You'll fair enough, go. give it a go. But ultimately, but what would he have done? Clear. If, if, yeah, the rule is very clear. And if he, if there had been Super Rally on the, on the Sunday, then I'm with you. Because, you know, the, the, the stewards would likely have excluded him. And then he had then cost Hyundai a yeah. chance. But then I would imagine, you know, I, I think we need to credit Hyundai, you know, Alan Panas and, and Andrea Adama with a significant amount of intelligence. I am sure they would have radioed to him and said, pull over. You know, yeah, it's yeah. not going to work. Um, yeah. But equally, Oit and Martin <coughs> would have gone back to them and said, we've got nothing to lose, like you say. But, uh, you know, yeah. if it happens but in, in Arctic you'd like or to think You'd like to think the team would have been on top of the, the, the potential mm. tactics and strategy there. Yeah, but, I, they I mean, would, the bottom, sure. bottom line is, you know, you, there's a massive advantage to going with only one spare wheel competitively than with mm. two. You know, there's a time element there. You know, he potentially was going to gain five or ten seconds by having one spare. So he took mm. his chance. You know, he, he, threw, yeah. he threw the dice and he took the chance and... and your spare, you know, it's, it's not that. Um, but George, I, I don't agree with that, George. I don't agree that. with that. I don't agree with that. Under again, under normal circumstances, if you're on Rally Catalonia in Spain, mm-hmm. absolutely, 
absolutely right. But what we saw in those stages in uh, Monte Carlo was that particularly those stages on the Saturday was there were massive time differences, not to do with the weight of the car, but to do with your position on the road. Yeah. I didn't think it was a gamble worth taking. You know, he was the only one, more or less, who went out with one spare tyre. When really, that wasn't going to be the deciding factor. It was how you coped with the conditions as they evolved uh, on the road and with your road position. I, I, you know, I think the question is not so much about whether he did the right thing, because, you know, that's, that's absolutely debatable. But the, the question for me is, why was he allowed to go out with one spare tyre? You know, that, your number that, one that, driver, your best point. chance of that, winning. That's, that's my Why point. was he allowed to yeah. go out with one spare tyre? Hey, so the, so the I, team that, wasn't so smart with their tactics and strategy. No. Which is kind yeah, of what I, Monte Carlo is all about. It's all about. I you win the Monte that. Carlo rally uh, to, to a greater extent than any other rally from the, the point of view of the team strategy and how that's applied. How you work your tyre information, your weather information, how you apply that to the drivers, how much confidence the drivers have got in your team and your engineers to believe what you're telling them. And are they on board with it? Obviously, that that wasn't the case there, I guess, in, in some way. I, so. I get all of that. And I, you know, I, I understand that. Mm. But, you know, it was the there was two stages in the loop call. You know, it wasn't mm. a three stage loop. And if you were yeah, going to but- take a gamble, you know, I. That wasn't the gamble, though. That wasn't the gamble, because the gamble was the conditions. Remember, they'd wrecked in Mm. entirely different conditions from the conditions they came across in the morning. They were super difficult conditions because it was that intermittent snow and ice. You know, as we saw with hindsight, the stage really did evolve the more cars that went through it. You know, the gamble wasn't, for me, that extra 20 kilos uh, that you save the gamble was understanding the conditions, driving to maybe the pace notes you'd made in full snow. All those things. There were there were other gambles. That wasn't a gamble that was going to actually give you a massive payoff no. in that stage. Being brave, being ballsy, driving to your notes that might have given you a big payoff. Extra little bit of weight saving? No, absolutely not. Not okay, on that but, short loop. You know, I'd, I'd still challenge you to go back and give me five drivers who've had successive punctures in those conditions on a Monty. Yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah, you know, I, 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 I would still maintain that, you know, one spare across two two stages. Yeah. I think retrospectively we can agree with Colin that it's right. Yeah. But 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 beforehand, uh, David, you can also you know the chances of yeah. a puncture are maybe sitting down at ten or fifteen percent. Yeah. That's mm. pretty low. And yeah. you know, Ot Tanak's one of the guys that's probably better at normally managing all those things. And you know, in 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 a competitive situation, when you were dealing with a you know a a a, 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 a narrower margin event like Finland, you you would you would uh, you'd say, Nana, of course we're going to trust you. On you go, we'll yeah. back you hundred percent, one spare tire. And that's the point, you know. you know. You you look at that scenario, you know, on that Saturday morning when they're going out, and Tanak would have been pushing like hell to go, you yeah. know, the car as as lean as possible, wouldn't he? Yeah, that's the nature of the nature of the job, yeah. isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, there we totally. go. So next, end, end of the weekend. Subject, I'm bored with that one. I was going to say, end of the weekend, <laughs> we saw Sebastian Auger become the greatest ever Monte Carlo winner. Yeah. Yeah, and there's still some people who who, who say he's only won seven Monte Carlos. Uh, in fact, I saw it in an official <laughs> official program. I, I, yeah. I find it remarkable. You know, he's, he's, a Monte Carlo win is a Monte Carlo win, and the fact it wasn't part of the WRC in 2009 is neither here nor there. He has won the Monte Carlo and, Rally eight times. And Cole, just to, just to jump in there, <laughs> that makes me laugh. That really makes me laugh that somebody would question his 2009 win 
fine. It wasn't a yeah. round of the world rally championship, but it was the first time he'd ever competed on that event. I right. think that might just yeah. about balance it out. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. And I, it, it, it astonished me. It astonished me when I was listening to a commentary and they said it's uh, it's his seventh win on the Monty, and I thought, hang on a minute. You know, it's his, it's his eighth win on the Monty. You know, if, if you want if you want to say those sorts of things, then say what is correct. It's his seventh WRC win on the Monty. Yeah. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. But it's his eighth Monte Carlo win. But, um, but you know, regardless, it, it was just quite majestic, wasn't it? You know, it was Sebastian Ogier yeah. at his absolute best. Sublime best. It was, it was yeah. beautiful. It was beautiful. And Certainly. the emotion, David, the emotion. Mm-hmm. And I listen, I, I've seen a lot, as we all have, but George, you and I in particular have seen a lot of Ogier from his early, early days in the, the juniors, in the when he, when he burst on the scene and nobody yeah. could quite decide how to pronounce his name um, when he was in the, the little Citroen. Uh, and he's not a man for showing emotion other than when he's angry. And, and when he's angry, he shows a lot of emotion, but he doesn't show tearful emotion that often. And we saw that, didn't we? And David, you got to the bottom of it, and it was a wonderful story that you found out. Um, it obviously meant a lot to him, but there were many reasons, one in particular, wasn't there, that the, it meant so much to him? There, there was, but just before we get to that, what, what, was, your, uh, what was your first shot at, uh, back in Mexico 2008, Carl? How did you, how did you go for the, for the surname? Ogier. <laughs> I would have always said Ogier, but I, may I think have just I, called I, think him I know Ogier. another Ogier, actually. There was an Ogier for a while. Yes, yes. Um, I missed that one. Yeah. Were, what, it, what, what do we all go for now? I'm I'm an Ogier. Ogier. I'm Ooh, more of an O oh, rather than oh, an O. Oh, Ogier. What did I say I said? Ogier. Is it Ogier, oh. though? Or is it Ogier? You said, you said oh, Ogier. No, David, I think I don't. Ogier. There's no e on Go the end, on, so I think Ogier. you kind of soften the final r, don't you? Ogier. Not Ogier. <laughs> Speaking so of which, Scottish David up Evans, here, we have to say it with an r. The r has to be rolled and said. I have to yeah. say, I do love the little play on words that you did. I hope it's not a typo because it's brilliant on the Dirtfish.com website. You talking about Monte Carlo, David Evans, and talking about the van show. Yes. It's spelt V-A-N. N. Yeah, you see, hot, hot vans coming in. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly what a service park smells like. It does. It smells of brake dust and engines. It does. And not mulled uh, wine. Yes, of course, Lise, that was absolutely well, except a Except in Monte Carlo, normally you'll get the smell of hot mulled wine around there somewhere. Uh, yeah. But no, Cole, go, going back to your... Um, to your uh, to your thinking about observation, about, yeah, you know it did it did mean a huge <laughs> amount to him because you know he obviously we all know he lives in Forêt Saint Julien just outside. I love saying that Forêt Saint Julien. Do you think I say that? He doesn't right? live there, David. No, no, shut live up. There. He, that was where he was born and brought up. He probably That's wasn't right. born there, uh, but he was certainly brought up there. Uh, and if you drive through Forêt Saint Julien on the rally, <laughs> you know damn well that there was only one current WRC star coming from there. Um, have, have you all been? Have you been through there while it's been on? Have you seen no. the huge? Um, so you'd call it a poster, but it's obviously not a poster because yeah. it's it's made of like um, kind of tenty sort of. What do you call that material? That's durable. Canvas. Canvas. Whoever said canvas go to the top of the class? Uh, yeah. It's a huge canvas that hangs, and it must be I don't know, fifteen meters high. It's massive and it hangs on the side of somebody's house and it's just really cool. Uh, and if like anybody's wondering where, to me. If anybody's wondering where <laughs> they can where they can find that, that's in Forêt Saint-Julien uh, every January. Uh, so he's yeah, he was brought up in the region and obviously just before well 
October, November time last year, there were some terrible storms that, that ripped through the heart of that area. Um, and we saw there was there was significant change to the itinerary for the rally with the traditional Sunday stages in the Alp Maritime, the, the sort of Calder Terrini around the Sospel area. They were all lost. And I think, Cole, did we move west from there? I think we, we moved. We did. Yeah, a little bit, little bit westerly, um, a little bit away from Italy and not towards Italy, because that's where the, the, the main centre of that terrible storm was, as you say. Yeah. Um, but and, yeah, and, and and he and you know in the end, uh, Sebastian has auctioned uh, some some of his gloves and some I think some race some race kit uh, to raise some money for for the families and you know people died in these storms uh, and people are still you know this is that age old thing isn't it you know it was huge news during that week and now we've all moved on but you know some of these people are still of course they're out of their homes you know they've got no yeah, homes yeah. now they've been washed away and they're living this nightmare um, in the middle of what is already a very difficult time for the for the world uh and he recognized that and you know it it just for me that speaks volumes about the bloke he is he's a thoroughly thoroughly good person sebastian Ogier, and and for many years he was and he still is in some quarters very very badly misunderstood yeah and and even even by people who do understand him people just don't like him represent him badly and i and i just think it's so unfair He, he is a thoroughly good person but he is a magnificent sportsman i, th- I think we got, he, sorry mate go on we, I, I was just going to say he's just he's got that that attitude which is you know that every single world champion and every discipline has and that is the absolute desire to win they are blinkered they are focused uh you know and, and nothing else matters other than winning and you know what do we expect the, the guy is quite probably and in my books he is the greatest driver of all time and you know, occasionally you see a, a slightly abrasive side to him, but that's what they need. You know, these people are, uh, you know, an elite, an elite I, I think it's, minority. it's, it's very fair. To, it, it's fair to say, Cole, that he is Forest Saint-Julien's finest, would you say? He, he really is. You're going to get fined he, he if you keep saying that. <laughs> um, do you think you're pronouncing that correctly, though, David? Um, so his next, uh, he's going to be focusing his eyes on our next event, and we've got the Arctic Rally coming up next. Should we be going I've, to I the Arctic like to Rally? I would like to have dinner with Sebastian Ogiek, uh, Lisa. That's what I would like to do. And I would like to talk about Arctic Rally, but more, more than that, I would like to talk about what I would talk about with Sebastian Ogiek if I had dinner with him. I think he'd be fascinated in all aspects of, of, of uh, motorsport discussion. I think the guy's I- probably just... Great company. I would say so. And here's some news news just in that we haven't actually written about this. Uh, but of our sort of modern age and modern generation, there is one driver who's now become a team principal who knows more about the sport and the current era, the current drivers and everybody. Uh, of course, Yerry Matty Lavola. So I was chatting away to Yerry Matty the other day and I said, I was telling him about the, the piece that we did for Dirtfish about is Sebastian Ogier now the greatest Monty driver ever? Uh, and we chatted about that, and then we sort of moved on a little bit about, you know, is he the, is he now the best, the best, the best, the best we've ever seen? And I was really interested, and Yerry Matty said that actually now, he said for so long you couldn't see past Loeb. He said, but now actually maybe he starts to think that Ogier is better than Loeb, which is quite a, mm. a revelation for a guy who ultimately Latvala's career spanned the same, completely the same time as Loeb and Ogier, didn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah. But you got to listen to him. He, he's he's driven against them. Yeah, both. Uh, he's he's driven with with Ogier, obviously, but he's driven against them both. Uh, and you know, Latvala is supremely well placed, as you say, David, mm. because he knows he knows the current crop. But you know, there's no one that knows 
the history that studies the history of rallying more than Yari Mati Latvala. And, and for him to say that, it's, uh, it's interesting. And it gives, gives massive credence to the, the argument that he's the best there's ever been. And I, I, I believe that entirely. I think mm. a man that's won Monte eight times in five different cars, a man that's won championships in, what is it, three different cars. Mm. Um, you know, it, 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 Loeb is brilliant. Loeb is a, is a genius. Um, but you put the two next to each other and, and what Loeb has is more wins more world titles and more individual wins. But what Ogier has got is more diversity. And to win in the diverse range of cars oh. and the circumstances that he's I am going to move us me. on. I am going to move uh, us on because I've got, I'm uh, sorry, I've got, I've got an eye on the um, clock here. And was, um, despite the fact that George wants to go and have a dinner party. G- give him his time, Lee. Give him his time. He's got something really important to say. No, no, he no, did no, sound quite just, sad there, yeah. didn't he? Colin, you're absolutely right. Just, just very, very briefly. It wasn't uh, you, was it? I thought it was Sebs, David Evans. Both those, both those Sebs are just unbelievably fantastic. And they set a standard which will be very, very hard for yeah. someone to follow. But somebody will follow it. Right, and George, we'll I've got one question for you. That's it. One question for, yes. you, for all three of you, actually. Who drove, whose era in the middle of winning lots of, of championships and rallies, who faced the most difficult competition? So I, well, tough, I felt, I felt that Sebastian Loeb was, was in a class of his own because he only ever seemed to be driving at 90%. And if anybody pushed him, he went up a gear, if that was at all possible, being in top gear. So, no, I, so I, I can't say, like, I'm going to have to probably go for Ogier then because he's had such diverse challenges. Uh, mm. I'm using your word there, Colin. That's all right. You're more than welcome. I mean, listen, Ogier, when he won with M Sport in that first year, there were eight different drivers won rounds of the championship. Mm-hmm. That's proper competition. Proper when, competition. When did when did Sebastian Lowe do that? He didn't. Probably two thousand and he didn't. He didn't. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't ever do it. that many drivers. Nope. No. Not not when that many won. Yeah, because for a lot of the time that Loeb was driving, Grano. remember it was just Citroen yeah. and M Sport. It was Grohl oh, and yeah. Loeb. It was Harvinen and Loeb. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we had Subaru as, as, as you know, a bit part. A little, a little bit times. of Subaru, but more, more you had uh, Marcus Gronholm was was Loeb's biggest rival. Um, I think. Well, Hervin, and in fairness, you know, Solberg as well. Never you challenged know, in the same way that uh, um, Gronholm did. Marcus Gronholm no. did. I don't think that would be fair yeah. to to either of them. No, you're right. That. He got very close yeah. one year. He did. But, he but, did. but only yeah. ever across the spread of a full season. Peter Solberg is the only man who ever beat Sebastian Loeb across a full season that everybody mm. competed in because before 2003, uh, in 2002, obviously Loeb was only doing a part programme. Yeah. Uh, and then his first full year was in 03 when Petter won. And then Petter was the only... He pushed him pretty hard in 04 as well, didn't he, George? Were you still were you there? Yeah, the car... The car, the car I, I was still, down, yeah. I'd, I'd, actually, I'd actually moved on to the... The working full time with uh, with Subaru in Japan at that point, but I was obviously still very much mm. involved on a day to day basis and on all the events, just looking after a different aspect. And I think the car had started to uh, disagree with with um, with uh, um, with Petter to a great extent. And then you know, latterly, as that that went on, there was such um, there was um, I mean there was that there was that program. You know, they they advertised they did their dirty washing in in public, didn't they? Really, when there was they did that fly in the wall uh, documentary for the year when the car had lots of problems. Um, mm. Certainly, I mean, the, the nicest thing you can say about it is Petter didn't gel with the car. 
Um, but, I'm sure if you speak to Petter, you'll you'll get you'll get maybe harsher words on it. Having having said that, that was the 04 car call that we did that thing with, and um, yeah. and was that just before Christmas? Was that this year? No, no David, it was a couple of weeks was ago. It? <laughs> this year really is rattling along, isn't it? Um, but we we did a. You should look out for this video. A fascinating insight into ProDrive rebuilding Petter's 2004 Japan car. Um, and and we were talking to Andy Brown and people at ProDrive there, and of course he he won Japan, then he won uh, GB, and then he won Sardinia. So you know it's a, a hat trick of events, winning in in '04. So Petter was still there. I think he he did he finished second in 2004 to to yeah, Sebastian. It's probably, it's probably five, but if you remember five, six and seven that became more problematical for him. Yeah. But if you remember, boys, '04 was the year that Petter was going to win every rally. That was what he said at the start of the year. No, he said he was going to win ten, didn't he? He said he, he thought wow. he could win 10. Yeah, yeah. It just and he all won, went the wrong way. But anyway, um, so David, what was what was, what was was the answer to your question then? You know, what, 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 what do we take the, out of it? I don't know. I, what, I mean, the fact is that, you know, ultimately, if you kind of praise that question, you know, who, who had the easier time? Who had less competition? Um, okay. And ultimately, it looks like we're going to go with Sebastian Loeb. Yeah. Mm. Perhaps. Yeah, I'd agree with that. That's worth a poll, that. Perhaps, at, perhaps, at Dirtfish Rally, if you've got any did, thoughts yeah. on that. But I still wouldn't compare the two drivers. I think they're both equally just fantastic. They're equal equal all-time greats. Yeah. In the same way Sorry, that... John. In the same way you almost can't measure previous champions. You know, do you want to measure Hannah Mikola's dominance? He was as dominant as... Oh, it's as, another debate, boys and is, girls. But, you know, the whole point it's is... Another a great yeah. driver is a great driver. Bjorn Waldegard, yes. Hannah Mikkola. Yeah, so ultimately, Walter does that mean Colin McRae is four times worse than Tommy Mekkinen? I think uh, not. Uh, categorically not. But yeah. um, certainly at four times different a different approach to Tommy Mekkinen, you might say. Mm. You know, there was mm. just, you know, Colin, Colin came at it. He was going to win every stage on his way to winning an event. And he would win every event on his way to winning a championship. championship. And if that didn't yeah. go to plan, there was no backstop. Colin mm. was everything up front. And uh, and Tommy wasn't terribly dissimilar, but was he was just, just fractionally, say it was fractionally more measured in 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 by way of catching four championships. Hey, it mm. might have just been the luck of the draw. I do remember talking to Colin once about about the two of them. It might have been in '03, and Colin mm. said, "Hey, uh, you'll not see either of us finishing second very often." <laughs> what did he say, David? What, what did he I'm say? You're going to do the accent. What language is that you were speaking in? What did he say? It was definitely, it was definitely racist anyway, Colin. You're, you're quite right to get your hackles up, you miserable it was, it was stereotypical, George. Exactly. Stereotypical. I don't think that's illegal that yet, Colin, Scotland either morally Lanarkshire. or legally. You're okay. You're I okay, thought it was right? like he was in the room. Um, but you know that's I mean that was and 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 uh, again I, I wouldn't uh, if you told me who's the best Tommy or Colin I, I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to measure nah. between the two. Nah, the, the statistics not. can give you a measurement if you want. They were both absolutely brilliant. God save us! Yeah. I mean entertainment value alone, Colin Colin would win in championship results. Tommy wins. You know what would we give? What would the world championship give for another Colin McRae right now? You know, but, if we move things on to our next discussion, which was, you know, Motorsport UK and this this announcement by their is it their chief executive, um, you know, and it all seems doom and gloom in terms of British rallying. But what do would you want we to give? just explain that as well? Yeah, I'll explain it in a second. But but if you know, for but, another Colin McRae, we're crying out for someone 
You're, it's a strange but, thing you, you, know, you talk about. Col, I've got to stop Go you there because categorically, the World Rally Championship cannot afford another Colin McRae. It can't. You know, we've talked... That was going to be my point, 100%. Sorry, mate. Sorry George. Yeah, yeah all right. No, no, no I you're that. quite right. I'm, I, I, I'm happy that. that you've I made it. That. I'm happy you've made it. Yeah. You know, you look at the, at, the, at, the, at the way that Colin progressed through the sort of 91, 92, 93, you know, even up to, you know, 96, the year after his championship, you know, he was bending metal on a, on a regular basis. And that, that approach now, simply, it would not be tolerated and it could not be afford, afforded. And, yeah. it, you know, the, I get that. We're not going to get one. We're not no. going to get. Would one, he get hired today if Colin no, McRae turned up? Would absolutely. he get a job? So, if we had a precocious talent with that sort of all-or-nothing approach, that you know, that just said the right things, did the right things, Having, was a little bit of a bad boy. Oh, is there yes. no no room for that yeah, anymore? Yeah, there's I'll, all the I'll room. tell you, there's, there's not plenty there's of room not, for that because you got you got Gigi Galli. There's one. Chris Meek. Yeah, there's yeah, another yeah, one. You know, there's, there's not room for them. Sadly, no. I I disagree with that, George. I think there is room for them, but I think that everybody's just too almost too afraid to be that. And actually, Lise, you're you're dead right because. McRae would be employed because Oit Tanit was employed. You know, he tested Malcolm Wilson's patience tremendously, got sacked twice. But still, yeah. you know, he came back, came back stronger and and delivered ultimately in the same way that, that Colin did. Didn't so, I see something about Oliver Solberg saying that he nearly got the shove because he was driving too fast? Oliver. Read that somewhere? Yeah, recently. Mm. Maybe not. Let me just ignore that. I'll take that out. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right for you to do that, Lise. <laughs> so, Colin, you, you, we're going to move on to um, the point you wanted to talk about, motors, Motorsport UK. Can you explain yeah. um, what yeah. has got you got your gander up? Well, you know, we all know that right now, certainly Rally GB is off the WRC calendar for this year and for, uh, well, who knows, who knows for how long, but certainly for this year and, Hugh Chambers, who is the, what is he, David, the chief executive? Yeah, CEO. Uh, CEO of Motorsport UK has written a rather extensive piece, um, which you can read on dirtfish.com. Uh, what is it? What, what is the piece? Is it an explanation or is it an, an, an excuse? Um, I, 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 I struggle. I struggle to work <laughs> out what it is because it, for me, it just confuses me totally. You know, it, it's criminal that we have lost Rally GB in this country. And what is more criminal? And, and this, is, this is unfair, because I actually like the three guys involved, but you know, when David Richards took over at Motorsport UK, I thought, this is great. Because remember, Motorsport UK looks after all motorsport, not just rallying. And the guy who'd been in charge before David Richards, uh, he had a particular interest in, was it touring cars, David? I think it was, yeah. wasn't it? Alan Gow. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that he neglected rallying Alan Gow, but, you know, but clearly his focus was in one particular area. David Richards takes over and you think, well, this can only be good for rallying. He appoints Hugh Chambers, a man who was central during the success days of the Subaru World Rally Team. You think, ooh, two of the top guys. They then bring in my namesake, Colin Clark, and there's three of them, and it's, it's the perfect triumvirate of rallying. You know, these three guys at the top of motorsport in the UK are all die-in-the-wool rally men. Cut their teeth in rallying, you know, grew up with rallying. They are absolutely the way forward. That was three years ago. Where are we now? Where are we now? You know, we're in a situation where the British Rally Championship uh, has big question marks over it. Uh, but more than that, we've lost Rally GB. We've lost, you know, the absolute, the golden, uh, you know, the... the we've not lost the, anything, the, Colin. 
We have, David, uh, no, George, we've lost have, it. We've lost given it away. Right? We've not lost it. They gave it okay, away. They've given Let's it away. Honest. This is the Shocking. point I was coming to. Shocking. This is the, you know, f- for me, for me, the article gives an absolute list of reasons why. As I say, read them as you want. Mm. Reasons or excuses. But they had a choice at the end of the day. They could have invested in Rally GB and kept it within these shores. They could have. And it may have been a one-year, a two-year investment. It does mean spending money. And clearly, no one was prepared to spend money. And worse than that, they're now talking about, you know, the only way we can do this is on closed roads because of the cost. Because of the costs involved, the only way we can do this is on closed roads. They're more or less saying the days of rallying in the forests of North Wales, of Mid Wales, of South Wales, of Kielder, of the Scottish borders, of the Scottish Highlands, that is over with. That is done. That is uh, not something that we can contemplate in the future because of cost. It there makes is. me a little bit, bit angry, you know, because it's. I, I understand that, that, that we do have to change, that we do have to evolve. Yeah, but, you know, my argument with this, Colin, and I can I can see where, where Hugh Chambers is coming from because the cost of running a forest round is considerably higher than running a, a, a closed road event. Um, but I think I'm exactly like you that, you know, for me... Britain's round of the World Rally Championship, call it the RAC Rally, call it Rally GB, should always, absolutely always be in the forest. You know, you'd never see a tarmac Thousand Lakes or Rally Finland. You just wouldn't. Um, but there are reasons for it. I think, you know, before we go any further, we do need to say that Britain does still have a very good chance of having a WRC round next year with Rally Northern Ireland. Thanks oh, to I the, don't believe that. Well, I don't believe it, David. Then I think I think I think the guys in Ireland will do a magnificent job, and I think if they can come up with rather a lot of money, maybe it'll happen. But once you're off that calendar, once you're into the pool of countries who effectively are involved in an auction, you know that's the place. Yeah. Let's see who bids the most. But once it, we get into that situation, we're stuffed you know, because what we do know is that Bobby Willis and his fine bunch of boys and girls in Ireland will raise a budget. But what we do know is that Motorsport UK will not top that up. They won't top that up. They won't say, okay, we need an extra two million to actually to pay the fee to get onto this calendar. I, it won't happen. I was just going to play devil's advocate there and say, you know, would that be a good use as a as a license fee pair myself? Because I did buy a license last year, not this year yet. Would I be happy with my money being invested in, in Rally GB? Um, I'm not sure. But then I actually thought, Yes, I would, because the potential trickle-down effect of having a WRC round, surely, you know, in terms of safety crews, marshals, timing, just people understanding best practice from WRC coming into your country every year, it's got to be worth it. You know, but Motorsport UK would argue that they have already invested in Rally GB. You know, the the investment from Cardiff has been trailing off uh, to just over a million pounds in 2019. We know that they get seven hundred thousand from from spectator revenue. It's not enough, you know. They they would have to top that up, so they have invested in it. And and what frustrates me a bit is, you know, you talk to the FIA and to Eve Maton, and and they understand the heritage, the necessity to keep these iconic rounds in the championship. But that's balanced by the commercial necessity that was brought to the table by the WRC promoter that says, look, you know. We have to make the championship fly, and everybody has to pay their their way. And unfortunately, 
you know, whatever GB Hugh Chambers was talking about, less than two million, it's not going to be enough to get us a round of the World Rally Championship. It's just not. You know, when countries like Turkey are spending three or four million, whatever, you know, every year for three years, uh, even more than that, I think it was actually, and Croatia are coming in with a big budget. You know, as much as the FIA wants its history and its heritage, the WRC promoter is going to come back with, you know, sorry, boys, we, you know, we've got to balance that with the fact that we've got to do the sums here. Um, and it'll go, it'll go back to one of my old arguments, David, just change the format. Start the rally on a Sunday in GB, that'll sort the job out. Or actually, George, fundamentally, yeah. what we need to do here is stop, you know, you know, this was DR's absolute argument year after year after year about the championship the number of rounds going up what we need to do here is not look at the cost but look at the value derived from the investment that's exactly right you know because that's because exactly D- right. david rich has quite rightly said you know i remember having this debate with him in back in 0405 when we were talking about bringing a new round of the championship uh, and i argued that the manufacturers were saying you know we've got 12 rounds we cannot afford 13 rounds so dr quite rightly said to me okay so we've got skoda in the championship now you tell me that 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 13th round is going to be in the Czech Republic. Then suddenly you'll find that Skoda does have the money. That's because they can leverage the value from a home round of the World Championship. Mm. It's not about the cost. It is about what we can make from it. And right now, the argument is within Britain, there is not the value in a WRC round. So therefore we have to find out why. And, you know, David and, and Hugh both have banged on and on about the fact that 20 years ago, McRae and Burns were on the front and the back pages. How do we get back there? You know, that, if we can solve that, then we will forever have a round of the, of the World Championship here. Mm. I think there are other ways. I think, I think if that's what we're relying on, then, you know, we, we can just kiss goodbye to it. You're Elvin. This we, is we all keep too British, guys. This is all too British. Who cares? Yeah. It's, 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 it's a great rally. I'd love to see it back in the forests. Doesn't sound like it's going to happen because the people in charge will decide. We can debate it as much as we want. I would say start on a Sunday, run all your classics Mickey Mouse Sunday stages. You'll get your revenue right back up there. You get your forest, you'll get your diehards going in on Monday and Tuesday into the forests. Perfect. Great rally. Yeah, I I think it's worth opening it up though because. Equally, though. But it will be the issue, George, that, you know, that's not going to work for a TV format, is it? You know? No, probably not. And they, you know. All live will will want people, but I guess you know. To be honest, will to be, be honest, uh, David, I I I watch and listen to more of the rally on a Thursday and a Friday than I do on a Saturday yeah. and a Sunday. Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. To be honest, if it was yeah, rally I, radio, I'd, I'd be set with it listening on my phone in my pocket whilst I'm dodging away in the garage doing some bits and pieces or whatever I'm doing. But sitting and watching videos, I, I watch the highlights in the evening, and yeah. you know, occasionally I can catch the odd stage on a Saturday. I did a little bit more this year because. The weather was horrible outside, etc. But, uh... but but fundamentally, I think you know, Cole, you're you're right. You know, your point that we need to tackle, you know, the grassroots in Britain because we need to build. You know, you look back to when to when um, those great days of the early nineties, the early nineties specifically, when McRae won the champ- British Championship in ninety one, ninety two, and and Richard in ninety three. They were pretty poor years for the British Championship. You know, there was there was the Pro Drive team, and there was Malcolm. You know, with Stephen Finlay and an, an occasional guest driver in the Michelin pilot car, Ari Vatanen, or these mm-hmm. kind of people. There weren't. There was no depth. You know, there was probably four or five potential winners at every round for 
you know, oh, and take that back uh, to that 80, best, yeah. 89, you know, when David Llewellyn was in that GT4, the one and only four-wheel drive car in 80, 89, 90, you know, for five or six years, British Championship was shocking, but it kept going because it had quite a good support in the classes and everybody, and just, I think there were less events going on at that time, and everybody just seemed to, to, to just, you know, March was always Vauxhall Rally of Wales, uh, the following month was always the Pirelli, then it was the Ulster. And- I have to say that uh, George has got a point. We have gone very British here, but I, I would eh, like to open sorry. this out. If, if anyone's what? listening um, and has an opinion about whether it should go or whether it should go to new grounds is, is perhaps a good conversation to have. Get in touch with us at Rally, at Dirtfish Rally um, on Twitter because there are people out there listening to this who are thinking, I want to go and watch rallying in my country and it's not there yeah. at the moment and I don't want to travel to see it on a, a traditional stage so I want to hear those arguments as well so if you've got any of those points get in touch with us at Dirtfish Rally. Just to come back to that point though Lise because I, I kind of lost myself a little bit and that you argument. did I got didn't all, you you I went got all, all nostalgic. Missed, <laughs> I, I did miss the eye talking about Rally Wales and Stephen Finlay but the point is the British Championship was pretty rubbish then and and it's you know it's it's by no means is it pretty rubbish now because we've actually got a stronger and a healthier front of the field I would suggest um, certainly a more accessible front of the field with our five cars than we had with with proper Group A cars back in the day. You're you're still talking four or five drivers maximum yeah, though, David. Four four drivers, four drivers maybe, uh, and no no depth in terms of uh, you. They, they are British drivers almost exclusively these days. You know the, the British Championship was at its best clearly when it was attracting drivers from all over the world. Formula 2, it's, it's in, Formula 2. Actually, yeah. not, not when it was attracting drivers from all over the world, when it was supported by British importers. That's true. That That is very true. When we had manufacturer interest um, supporting British drivers in, in the British Championship. But, you know, you look, you look at... You know, at least you're talking about opening it up to a, to a wider audience and where it works. You know, I, I've done a wee bit of work in New Zealand with the New Zealand Championship. Um, and things are healthy there. Things are healthy. You know, in, in New Zealand, logistics of, of, of competing are very, very difficult. You know, you're, you're covering vast areas over two different islands, uh, but they, they regularly have, you know, full um, full entry lists, an amazing diversity of machinery. You know, they've got more women participating in the New Zealand Championship than just about any other championship in the world. I think when I did Otago last year, thirty percent, thirty five percent of the entry list were women. Um, and the atmosphere around that championship is fantastic. The one thing that they don't have is over-regulation. You know, they, they're not talking about homologated cars. Not, not in the main anyway. And, and people, you know, it, it takes rallying back to what rallying should be. It's, it's, it's a fun participation sport. The whole family can take part in. You can do it at a reasonable cost. You're never going to get away from the fact that motorsport is costly. It always will be. But as long as, you know, family A and family B think, yeah, we can pool our funds and we can run this car at the weekend. Dad drives, mum co-drives, the kids are working in the service area. And that is a very, very common occurrence out there. Mm. You know, you get, you build it from the bottom. You build it from the bottom. You get people involved. You build the right atmosphere. You make it inclusive. You get rid of all the bickering and the bitchiness and the nonsense that pervades rallying in certain circumstances, in certain circles around the world. Like in Britain. That, like in Britain, George, exactly. I, you, I've you got to say, it, if I you, could just... You, could, I, could I just bang back to uh, to British Championship very quickly, Colin? Hold that thought. I, I changed my mind. Actually, probably the 
British Championship was at its best, like you say, when when we had the likes of Vatten and Mikula in the late 70s, early 80s. Okay, that was that's unbelievable then, guys. That's about, I, I cut my teeth spectating supporters. back then. You cannot believe how good it was. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You cannot yeah, believe it. Anyway, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that I think there are lessons to be learned from championships around the world. If we say it starts at the bottom, it starts with grassroots, then it's it's not just a regulatory change; it's a whole cultural, institutional change. We need to change, you know, really the atmosphere around rallying. I think at the grassroots, um, and and if we can do that, then then we have hope and we can build something and we can say, yeah, let's forget Rally GB for four or five years. Let's invest the money. In grassroots rallying, let's let's build it. What I will not tolerate is losing GB and seeing nothing happening at the grassroots level, and that's what scares me. That's what scares me. We've had three years of the current management team to deal with a situation which was always on the horizon. It was always going to happen. It was, you know, the, the, the Welsh government's contract was always going to run out. It was always going to be less each year. They knew what was going to happen. Then all of a sudden, oh my God, this has happened. You know, okay, if it has to be, it has to be. But let's see something positive and concrete being put in place to build for the future. Otherwise, we can forget it. We can forget it. Instead of that that very disingenuous hand-wringing that goes on, what can we do? We're not making enough money. And, well, it's not what the people want. We've got to do this. And it's all just very, yeah, false. George, it's very predictable. It's very predictable, George, sadly. Exactly. Okay, well, I think we're going to stop there before we start getting personal. Um, Oh, yes. I know, no, I'm stopping it before we get personal. (laughs) Yeah, quite right. Yeah, well, that's uh, kind of wrapped things up. We didn't get to the Arctic Rally, but we will perhaps do a preview of the Arctic Rally, which is the next event on the WRC calendar. weeks until then. So we've got very plenty of time cold, to prepare guys. for that. Yeah. Very cold, guys. Very cold. It's minus 30. I mean, They've got to take survival it, kits with them. You cannot believe. I, I, I did a Swedish rally once when it, it got to minus 35, minus 38, <laughs> and it was awful. It was absolutely... I broke George, down. I got, I got, I got, um, I got hypothermia. Save Save your story, oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I've got children to pick up from school. I've got oh, sorry. Crack on. Well done, Much boys. more important than rally. No, nothing's more important than rally. We know that. Well done, boys. Nice to speak Thank to you. you. Catch Thank you, you soon. Lisa. It was Bye. lots of fun. Thanks, Lisa. Lots of David. Thank Thanks for that call. Cheers.